Welcome to Straight Talk with My OBMD Podcast. Join me for a bi-weekly discussion on topics most relevant to women's health today. We are your source for medically accurate, real-world advice and all things related to your health and well-being as a woman. From menses to menopause, we've got you covered. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Smith, a fully practicing, board-certified OBGYN physician with close to 20 years experience. I am also the founder of the website that is 100% dedicated to women's health, myobmd.org. At myobmd.org, we write in all aspects related to women's health. Listen to our podcast, visit our website, subscribe to our newsletter, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, myobmd.org. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with My OBMD. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Smith, proud founder of the website myobmd.org. Myobmd.org is a website dedicated to your health and well being. There you'll find articles written 100% by physicians, physicians who have cared for women just like you who want to be able to speak to you directly and control the narrative that you can find online. We want to make sure we have created a space for you where you can find information online that is medically accurate, real life, and relevant. Visit myobmd.org, sign up for our newsletter, subscribe to our podcast, and send us any feedback you have. We appreciate it. So on today's episode of Straight Talk with my OBMD, we are going to be talking about C-sections. So cesarean delivery, C-section, section, all different terminologies for the same exact thing, cesarean delivery or section. So we're going to be talking about how to prepare and what to expect for your C-section, whether it's scheduled way in advance or decided upon while you're in labor. So stay tuned to learn all you need to know about how to prepare and what to expect for your C-section. Welcome back to My OBMD, Straight Talk with My OBMD. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Smith. I am a board-certified, fully practicing OBGYN physician. I am so pumped up to be in your ear today to talk to you about C-section, what to expect and how to prepare. So let's first start by defining what is a cesarean section. So a C-section is describes the way a baby is delivered. A baby can be delivered one of two ways. Babies are birthed through either the birth canal, which is through the vagina, or through an incision in your abdomen, which is called a C-section. We know that vaginal deliveries are safer way of delivering your baby. You lose less blood, you recover faster. However, however, there are times when a C-section will be recommended. Your doctor may say to you, hey, I recommend a C-section for whatever the reason may be. And that's something that you would need to give some consideration to. 
According to the CDC, 32% of births in the U.S. are delivered by cesarean sections. So that has been pretty steady over the last decade or so. It has been about a third. Prior to that, it had hovered closer to 18 to 20%. So it did increase to 30%, but luckily, fortunately, it has not gone beyond that. The first C-section you undergo is generally referred to as a primary C-section, meaning that that is the very first time you're having a C-section. All the others are repeat C-sections. And there's a difference because with a primary C-section, the risks are lowest, And then as the number of C-sections that you have increases, the risk increases with each one. So the risk for your first C-section is always going to be the lowest risk. The risk for your third, fourth, and fifth, it keeps going up. Each time you have another C-section, another pelvic or uterine surgery, the risk increases. So we know that a C-section may be recommended before you go into labor well in advance of the time you even step foot into the hospital. Your doctor may recommend a C-section for a myriad of reasons, or a C-section may also be recommended at the time you are actually laboring in the hospital. So both of those describe the same procedure, whether it's this, whether it's a procedure that's scheduled way in advance or it's procedure that is performed while you're in labor However, we know that the C-section with the lowest risk are those that are performed in a non-laboring patient. So the patient that has a C-section that walks in the hospital, doesn't labor, has a C-section, her operation has a lower risk than a patient that is laboring. Doesn't mean that we go ahead and resection everybody because, of course, a vaginal delivery has the lowest risk of all. So we always attempt a vaginal delivery for the appropriate patients. So what are the reasons that you may need a C-section or that your doctor may recommend? Hey, I I would recommend a C-section. So for the person that is in labor, they may just not be making any progress. So for instance, typically when you're in labor, not everyone, but typically Once you get to four or six centimeters dilated, then your labor progresses. You dilate to the rate of about one centimeter an hour, give or take, right? And that's not a hard and fast rule. Nobody will say, hey, you haven't dilated a centimeter. It's been an hour. Let's do a C-section. No one is going to do that. But that's just the general guideline. However, because everyone is different, We always allow patients the latitude of extra time because your body may just not go by that particular, at that particular rate, and that could still very well be normal. So if you're fine and the baby's fine, your labor may be allowed to progress. However, if it's been well, well past that period of time, let's say you've been the same dilation for well over four hours, eight hours, certainly by the time you're 10 hours, that is a labor that is not progressing, right? That's a labor that is not progressing. 
especially if you've made it to the point where you already were four or six centimeters dilated. Because by the time you get to that level of dilation, the rest of your labor should go fast. So if you've gotten to that point and then you're no longer progressing, your doctor may say, hey, you know, your labor is just not progressing anymore. You're not dilating your cervix anymore. My recommendation is for a C-section. And in my opinion, that's appropriate. Of course, you would have to agree. Another situation where you may have a failure to progress is if you are completely dilated, you're 10 centimeters dilated, you're pushing, you're pushing and pushing and pushing, and the baby is not coming down. So that is also a failure to progress. And in that case, a C-section may be recommended as well. So for the laboring patient, those are the two more common reasons that a C-section is recommended, that you're just not dilating like you should or your baby's head is not coming down while you're pushing. And so in those instances, there may be concern that your baby is not going to fit through your birth canal. And so it's just not, it's having a hard time navigating that passage. And so rather than continuing and risk your baby getting stuck, then your doctor may recommend a C-section. Other reason to recommend a C-section while you're in labor is that if your baby is just not doing well, the monitor is suggesting that the baby is not doing well, rather. So we typically have you on a monitor when you're in labor so we can evaluate the baby in continuous real time. And if that monitor is not reassuring to us, if it's not indicating that the baby is okay, then that is an indication for you to be delivered immediately. And if you're not fully dilated with the baby right there at the crowning at your vagina, then it would be immediately would require a C-section. So concern for fetal well-being, concern for maternal well-being, of course, is also a factor that would need to be considered. So if for some reason you're are not doing well and That most commonly happens if you have conditions such as preeclampsia, where your blood pressure may be quite high, and we are concerned that continuing your pregnancy will risk your blood pressures becoming just dangerously high. And so we want to turn that process around. And we know that for conditions like preeclampsia, you really don't start getting better until after your baby is delivered. And so if there is concern for your well-being, then C-section may be recommended. Other conditions that we have a concern for uh, your well-being are things such as bleeding. If you're hemorrhaging, then that, of course, needs to be dealt with immediately to avoid severe anemia and everything that goes along with that. So those are the um, more common reasons why you would need to have a C-section that is not scheduled in advance. So those are called C-sections that are done on laboring patients or that it's not scheduled in advance. It wasn't necessarily anticipated before you came to the hospital that this would be needed. Now, there are some patients where your doctor will 
know well in advance of you coming to the hospital that a C-section is necessary. So more common reasons for that includes a breech baby. So if your baby is breech, and by breech, it means that the head is not the presenting part. So the head is not the closest part of the baby to the vagina. It may be the feet, it may be the buttocks, it may be one leg. And breech babies, the recommendation is for breech babies to be delivered by C-section, not vaginally. They, we know that studies have shown that breech babies that are delivered by C-section do better than breech babies that are delivered vaginally. And so in way back when, years back, maybe 30 years ago, 20 years ago, there, over 20 years ago, there was the acceptance that if your baby was breached, you could possibly deliver vaginally. However, that's no longer the case. The recommendation is that for is that all breech babies should be delivered by C-section. And so if your baby is breech, it's known breech, and your doctor does not choose not to try to turn the baby or you you and your doctor decide you're not going to try to turn the baby, then delivery method recommended within the U.S. is cesarean delivery. Other conditions includes multiple pregnancies, so twin pregnancies. And twin pregnancies, this one is more nuanced because for some twins, if they're both head down, some patients, some ladies, along with their physicians together, decide to attempt a vaginal delivery. And that's okay. And some will decide to just go ahead with a C-section. So that's really not a hard and fast rule. That is something that you and your doctor will decide together what you both feel comfortable doing. Other indications for C-section is large fibroids that are obstructing the birth canal. So typically, if you just have fibroids, you don't necessarily need a C-section unless you've had previous surgery to remove the fibroid. But if some of the fibroids can be quite large, and remember, they can be anywhere in the uterus, and some of them are in the lower uterine segment, and the they're just not allowing the baby to enter the birth canal, and in that case, you really don't have much of a choice but to have a C-section because the fibroid will not allow will not allow a vaginal delivery. Infection, if there is any infection, especially in mom, and we're worried that the baby may be infected, it's not always necessary that you will need a C-section right away. But if your labor's not progressing and there's concern that the baby's well-being is may be compromised by this infection, then your doctor may recommend a C-section. Another uh, common reason for a C-section recommendation is that if we feel that your baby is large, if your baby is feeling like it's weighing more than the average weight, or if your baby is weighing more than the average weight and you are diabetic, then a recommendation may be made for cesarean delivery. The reason why uh, patients with diabetes and uh, large babies, the reason why they tend to have a higher rate of C-section, because we know that pound for pound, even though a baby may have the same weight, for a baby of a diabetic mom, they're more 
they have something called plethora, meaning that they just have a really robust, they're, they're really bulky. And so they're more, and they're, they're, shoulder to shoulder diameter can be wide and so that so they are at a higher risk of getting stuck and so the big baby in a non-diabetic may have an easier time traversing the birth canal than a big baby in a diabetic patient and so for that reason large babies especially large babies in diabetic pregnancies more often a C-section is recommended. If you have any issues with your placenta, so for instance, if your placenta is the first thing that's coming through the vagina, that's called a placenta previa, then the only safe way to deliver the baby is by a C-section. Other placental issues include something called placental abruption, where the placenta actually breaks off from the wall of the uterus, and that's a surgical emergency requiring an emergency C-section. Now, there are certain medical conditions, especially some cardiac conditions, where it is not recommended that a patient push because when you're trying to push your baby out, there are some stress that can be placed on the heart. And so patients with certain cardiac conditions, the cardiologist may say, hey, I don't think her heart is strong enough to tolerate this process. So in that case, a delivery by C-section would be recommended. Now, rarely, some women just request a C-section. It, they don't have a medical reason for it. They, have, they don't have a big baby. They don't have a previous C-section. They don't have any cardiac conditions that doesn't allow them to uh, labor. They don't have fibroids. They just want to have a C-section. And you know, sometimes people like the control factor of being able to know the time and date of of when your baby will be born. And so that less commonly, we really don't encourage that, but sometimes some patients do choose to just say, hey, I just want to have a C-section. Thank you very much. And no thank you to an attempt at a vaginal delivery. So those are some of the conditions that may exist that may prompt your doctor to uh, recommend a C-section. So when should the C-section be scheduled? So for the patients that are not laboring, the C-section, for instance, is planned in advance of labor. There's the question of, okay, when will you have your baby, right? So in most cases, your doctor will try their best to have your deliver as close to 39 weeks as possible. 39 weeks, that's the magic number, right? 39 weeks is the, we know that your baby, baby's born at that time. They tend to do very, very well after birth. They require, they don't require a lot of support from the neonatology team, they are able to be vigorous at birth and they are less likely to require admission to the NICU, which is the neonatal ICU or basically the ICU for babies. And so we try as much as we can to push that delivery as close to 39 weeks. However, there are times when this may not be the wise thing to do and you may need to have your baby prior to that point. So for instance, if you have high blood pressure, 
preeclampsia, chronic hypertension, gestational hypertension, any of the high blood pressure issues in pregnancy, then we know that for those pregnancies, we we do not recommend delivery at 39 weeks. We recommend delivery prior to that, 38 weeks or sooner, more commonly 38 weeks, possibly 37. So depending on what's going on, your doctor may choose to time your delivery at 39 weeks or or before 39 weeks. There are a few patients that go after 39, that have their scheduled C-section after 39 weeks. Not a lot, but a few. These are the few patients that may go past 39 weeks. So if you've had a previous C-section and you want to have a vaginal delivery and your doctor says to you, hey, it's okay to try to have the baby vaginally, but we are going to be hands off. We want your body to go into labor on its own because we know that the risk to you are less if your body does it on its own rather than us giving you medicines to try to push your body. And so for those patients, you may see those patients may go past 39 weeks because they're waiting for their body to go into labor. However, usually once you get to 40 weeks, certainly by 41 weeks, which is a week past your due date, then a C-section would be recommended. So I just want to pause and point out that 40 weeks of pregnancy reflects you're 40 weeks pregnant on your due date, okay? You're 40 weeks pregnant on your due date. Your full term, actually the full term period is not just a date. Full term is anywhere from three weeks before your due date. Starting at three weeks before your due date, you are then full term. So um, I just wanted to take a minute to point that out. So let's say you are scheduled for a C-section, or even if you're not scheduled for a C-section, you're just scheduled to have a baby, right? Well, both of these scenarios require you to prepare for a possible C-section. The one in which you know you have the advantage of knowing that you'll have a C-section, and then for the patient that is anticipating a vaginal delivery, then there is always a possibility of needing a C-section because we just don't know what will happen in labor. I mean, some patients, they come and you have a, a very short labor course and your baby looks beautiful the whole time and everything goes, goes super and others may not be that fortunate. And so we just really, it's hard to predict who will have what experience. And so it really does behoove us to prepare everyone for that possibility. So what are some of the things that we can do if your doctor has scheduled you for a C-section in advance, in advance of your labor? So one of the most important things that to do is to correct any anemia, right? And pregnant, when you're pregnant, you're going you're gonna to be anemic. Okay, I don't know anyone that's pregnant that is not anemic. Now, the degree of anemia will vary. The degree of anemia will vary. Most pregnant patients will have a hemoglobin that's about 10. Normal hemoglobin levels, normal blood hemoglobin means blood count levels. Normal blood count levels are about 12. Most pregnant women have about 10, somewhere between 10 and 12, or somewhere between 10 and 11, rather. Very rarely I've seen 12. And so 
that is mild anemia, it does still need to be corrected, okay? Because you want to get your blood count as close to normal as possible. If your blood count is even lower than than the 10, then even more critical need to have your iron replacements done so that your blood count will will rise appropriately. And so you'll be better prepared for your C-section. The reason why this is so important is because we know that C-sections are associated with a greater degree of blood loss. So vaginal deliveries, you have less blood loss than C-sections inherently. So we want to make sure that your blood count is as close to normal as possible to give you a little leeway. So let's say you lose a moderate amount of blood. If you're already starting off quite anemic, you're going to get to a critical level very fast. But if you're starting off at a close to normal blood count, then you're going to have to lose a lot of more blood before you get to critical level. And so we always recommend getting your blood count as high up to as close to normal as possible if you know that you are going to be having a C-section. Or even if you don't have a C-section plan, it's just a good idea to have your blood count as close to normal as possible. The other thing you can do to help prepare for your C-section is to sign an informed consent. An informed consent is a consent where you and your doctor have a discussion about the procedure. So your doctor would talk to you about a C-section. They will go over all the risks associated with it. What are the benefits? What are the alternatives? And you would have a conversation about what all that entails, what your recovery will look like. And once that has been completed and all your questions are answered, at that point, you may sign a a consent. That's called an informed consent because you've been informed of the procedure and all the associated risk, benefits, and alternatives prior to signing. And so that is an important aspect of how to prepare for your C-section to make sure you have had that conversation to have an informed consent decision made. More immediately prior to the C-section, you should not eat or drink anything for eight hours. So typically, most C-sections are performed no sooner than 7 or 8 a.m. And so in those cases, we ask that you not eat anything after midnight, depending on how early it is, you may be asked not to eat anything past 10 or 11 p.m. If you take medicines, you can take your medicines with sips of water. But in general, we ask that you not eat or drink. It's, it's important to follow this guideline and this recommendation of not eating or drinking because in pregnancy, it takes a very long time for you to digest your food because your uterus has your stomach pushed up. It just takes a longer time for the food to flow through the stomach as well as the small intestines and large intestines. And so food that anything that you eat, it tends to sit in your stomach for a longer time than if you weren't pregnant. During surgery, sometimes you start to vomit and you don't want to vomit and have that food. You throw it up, it comes up to your throat and goes right back down to your lungs. That's called an aspiration. We don't want that because that can your lungs become very angry when you do that. So we definitely do not want that. But certainly 
not eating or drinking for at least eight hours prior to surgery is wise. Okay. The night before your surgery, make sure you get a good night's rest. Make sure you get a good night's rest because most ladies after surgery, they're exhausted and you still are going to have to recover depending on where you have had your baby, depending on the hospital where you've had your baby, the baby may or may not be in the room with you. And that's just, that can create an added benefit where you're seeing the baby all the time, but also an added stress because you now have to care for the newborn while you're caring for yourself. And so it's just wise to just kind of to, to take a rest, to get a good night's rest before your surgery. The other recommendations are do not shave for one week. So for one week, we ask that you not shave the hair along the pubic area. When you come to the hospital, that area is going to be shaved. The nurse is going to shave that area. When you shave it, it can cause little nicks in the skin. And so that will put you at an increased risk of infection. And so it's better to wait. We use the surgical clippers when you arrive to the hospital to remove the hair so the hair won't be in the way of the of the incision. Now, some hospitals provide you with something called a surgical prep, and that is where you may have a cleaning device that they ask you to shower with before you come to the hospital just to keep your clean your skin nice and clean to reduce the risk of infection. And then one of the most important ways you can prepare for your C-section is by relaxing. Take nice deep breaths, relax. Just surround yourself with a lot of positivity so that you'll be able to meet your baby in the best mindset possible. Okay, now, what should you expect on the day of your C-section? So again, I'm talking to the patient that scheduled C-section, so you're coming to the hospital, no, no labor is anticipated. And for um, in that case, when you come to the hospital, usually you're greeted by one of the staff members, you're provide your ID and so forth, and your nurse will introduce herself and start your IV. That's one of the first things that we do is start your IV because now that you're in the hospital, we need to have access to your veins in case we need to give you something intravenous. And so you're greeted by your uh, member of the staff and then by your nurse. Your nurse will draw blood work and place the baby on the monitor. One of the other things that is done in that morning in preparation for your C-section is that the nurse will give you uh, something to drink. It's called bicitra. It's a white substance, and that will just neutralize your stomach acid. And that's just to help with your, not just with your comfort, but also to help prevent aspiration, to help prevent the acid reflux from coming up and going into your lungs. So... So you would have signed your informed consent. You would have spoken with your surgeon. Depending on your medical risk, your doctor may recommend you speak with the anesthesiologist before the day of surgery. And of course, that's certainly okay. And those are the main, those are the main things to consider when you have a scheduled C-section. For the C-section that's called, that's the C-section that's decided upon while you're in labor, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different because you've been laboring, and so the risks are just very ever so slightly elevated. The preparation that you would have made in, in advance, such as correcting your anemia, 
will still be helpful to you even in this scenario because of course again the more the higher the closer to normal your blood count is the longer and harder it will take for your blood count to get to a critical level requiring a blood transfusion so let's move on now that we've talked about the what happens in advance of the surgery before you go to the hospital on the day of surgery now let's say you're taken to the operating room. So let's say you're taken to the operating room and what happens there? So most ladies have not been in the operating room unless they've had surgery, right? So in the operating room, you're, you'll get walked to the operating room, whether your nurse will escort you there by foot or you get wheeled there in a wheelchair or on a stretcher. You go to the operating room and you'll see that there's a bed sitting in the middle of the room. That's your that's your spot, right? And typically the anesthesiologist is already there along with any member of the anesthesiologist team. And they will, before they do anything, they'll have you identify yourself to make sure that we have the correct patient and we're all in agreement on what is about to happen. So that's called a surgical pause. So that happens initially. Then you're placed in a position where the anesthesia will administer your medicine. And typically that medicine is called a spinal. For you, it's it's very similar to what happens with an epidural because you're sitting up, they're poking your back, and the medicine um, numbs you from the waist down. So you're going to experience the same thing that you would for an epidural, but with a spinal, the spinal is more dense. You feel even less than you would with an epidural. And the spinal doesn't last as long as an epidural because, of course, with an epidural, when you're laboring, we don't know how long you need it for. So there's a tube that's placed where medicine continuously goes through. With a spinal, it lasts for just a few hours because we know, of course, now you're gonna you're about to have your baby. Once that's done, you're laid down. Once you're once you've received the medicine in your back to numb you from the waist down, then we lay you down right away. We put a little tilt on your right side, which just to help to make sure the baby stays well oxygenated and you're not and you stay also well oxygenated because um, when you lay flat on your back, you can compress a large vein, which can cause some issues, right? With circulation. And so you're tilted a little bit, the tilt is placed under your right. Okay. And then a catheter is placed in your, in your bladder to help drain your bladder. And that's very important. That helps to prevent any bladder injury from occurring during your C-section. And then once that's finished, then you're secured, you're kind of place a little straps around you, your legs, your arms, and then clean your tummy off really well. Then the surgical team, the surgeon, surgeon assistant will scrub, will clean their hands really well. We all come in and get you ready for your C-section. And then you have another surgical pause. So another timeout is performed where you're identifying yourself again, what we're about to do and all of that good stuff. And then your surgery starts. So what to expect during your surgery? So during surgery, you're going to feel like your surgeon's hands on you. You're going to feel some pressure from that, but you should not feel pain. Prior to starting, we always do a pinch, what we call a pinch test, where we pinch your tummy with a really sharp instrument to make sure you don't feel it. 
If you do not feel it, that means your anesthesia is working and that tells us we can proceed safely. If you feel it, then we have to, anesthesiologists will have to give you more medicine, will make some adjustments to make sure that you are numb enough that you will not feel the pain from the, from the C-section. But keep in mind, you're going to still feel some pressure. You're going to feel your, you may feel some touching sensation, but not pain. You may become nauseated, especially with the spinal, it drops your blood pressure sometimes, and that causes you to have nausea. So you may get nauseated. You may vomit. They're prepared for that if that happens, and they'll give you medicine to, to treat that. Once it gets to the point where your baby is born, your partner may be allowed to stand up, take pictures, depending on where you deliver and what's going on, how well your baby is. We may lower the drapes so that you can actually see the baby, okay? So that's not always possible, but if your baby is healthy and you're doing well, then sometimes, you know, we do that. it's, It's nice and you're able to see the baby fresh out of the womb. But then the baby goes over to the warmer where they have a team that's taking care of the baby there and will assess the baby and make sure the baby, whatever support the baby needs would be provided. So there is a type of C-section called an emergency C-section or a STAT C-section. And so let's talk about that real briefly, right? So a STAT C-section just means that you have to, an emergency exists where in order to deal with that emergency, you need to be delivered right away. That emergency may be, may exist with you or the baby, either one. Okay. And so some of those, some of the conditions that may create those emergencies, if you, for instance, there are signs of fetal distress. Okay. And that may be worrisome. So depending on the degree of distress, we may say, hey, you um we need to we need to just go ahead and deliver you right away. Also other conditions are something called a cord prolapse where the umbilical cord actually umbilical cord actually loops out of the uterus into the vagina. That's an emergency because the the blood flow to the uh, the circulation the blood flowing to the baby is compromised, and so we have to get to the baby right away in order for the baby to get that well-needed oxygen, okay? Placental abruption is another condition where the placenta breaks off from the wall of the uterus, and in that condition as well, the baby is just, once the placenta breaks off, the baby has no access to any oxygen or nutrients, and so this is a a true emergency where the baby has to be delivered very, very within a very short space of time. Hemorrhage, if you're hemorrhaging, then that's also would require emergency delivery and also seizures. Seizures, you know, it varies. Some patients may have a seizure and a doctor may say, hey, you need an emergency C-section. And some patients may have a seizure and your doctor may say, hey, I'm going to treat it, manage it, and then do your C-section, or then even try for a vaginal delivery. So that's the maternal seizures. That's not a hard and fast rule because the management does vary. So with a stat C-section, there's a lot of movement really, really fast, right? And so there, it's really a race against the clock to prevent the loss of oxygen that may lead to fetal brain damage. 
So prompt delivery is critical. So when you first get to the hospital, even if we are anticipating a vaginal delivery, we always prepare you for a possibility of needing a C-section. So we always ask that you sign a C-section consent on admission. The reason being, if you have a dire emergency, that is not the time to sit down and discuss pros, cons, risk benefits, and alternatives of a C-section. You, we are not, we would not be counseling you adequately in a crisis situation, and you would not be hearing us adequately in a crisis situation. And so we always have that discussion prior to that and ask that you sign a consent for a C-section in case it is needed urgently, emergently, that portion is already taken care of because we really, we cannot do it without your consent. That is a requirement. Now, if it's, if it's truly emergency, sometimes if you do not already have an epidural, you may have to be put to sleep. And that's called general anesthesia. We try not to do general anesthesia for C-sections for several reasons. One, it's just a more dangerous, more risk to you to have a general anesthesia because your, your throat is really kind of have a lot of fluid collecting around there and it's more difficult. The other reason is that you're not awake for the birth of your baby. So we really do try not to do general anesthesia. However, <laughs> another one of those however is however, if there are times when it really is necessary, whether to save your life or your baby's life. And so while we don't do this often, at times we will need to provide general anesthesia and do an emergency birth by C-section. Unfortunately, when you have general anesthesia, when you've received general anesthesia and you're, you're sleeping, then your support person will not be allowed in the operating room. So you and your partner will see your baby in the recovery room. So that is what happens with emergency C-sections, also called STAT C-sections. So what happens after the C-section is completed? So for the baby, the baby is assessed and they'll determine if the baby will go to normal nursery or the ICU for babies. And a big component of that is whether the baby is term, full term or preterm. More often, preterm babies will need to go to the ICU for babies. It's very, very rare that they don't need to go to the ICU for babies. But term babies more often than not, will go to normal nursery. Your team is going to monitor you very diligently. Like every five minutes, they'll check your temperature, your blood pressure, make sure you're making urine. They'll monitor your vaginal bleeding. They'll check your pain level. So you're going to be having very, very close monitoring immediately after surgery. Your nurse will intermittently massage the uterus to make sure your bleeding is not excessive. And as your anesthesia starts to wear off, assuming you had a spinal or an epidural, the sensation will gradually return to your feet and then move upward. So that will happen. Don't be surprised that at the speed of your recovery, because most patients that have had a C-section, they recover pretty fast. You'll be allowed to eat in most cases. 
and once you have sensation back in your legs and you, your legs can support the the weight of your body, you'll be able to walk whether to the bathroom or not, or you may have still have the catheter in place. Or your doctor may just allow you to rest overnight or rest for a few hours before kind of getting you up out of bed. So it really does vary. Now, the next day on day one, after you've had the C-section, that's kind of your, okay, you are you have to start recovering. So your catheter is out, so you have to go to the bathroom on your own. The nurse will assist you or the nurse assistant will assist you to the bathroom to attempt urination, depending on the type of incision you have, the inc- the rather the dressing, the dressing may or may not be removed. Your pain medicines are going to be switched from IV to pills. So there's a lot of transition that happens during that time. They may give you a breathing tool to use to help you take deep breaths. So we're by one day after your C-section, your recovery has truly has kicked up a notch. Anticipate being in the hospital for anywhere from two to four days after you've had your C-section, and then you go home, barring any complications. If there are complications, then your hospitalization may be extended. So once you go home, it would be really nice to, for you to have help at home because Having had major surgery and taking care of a newborn are just difficult tasks. One of those tasks are already difficult, and then you kind of put the two together, even more challenging, right? So you want to try to get as much support as you can at home, get those around you to help as much as you can so that you can rest, which is will help to speed up your recovery process. Your doctor would have likely sent you home on pain medicines to include narcotic and a non-narcotic. Most narcotics will make you sleepy, right? So most patients take the narcotics at night and the non-narcotics during the daytime. But if you're truly in a lot of pain during the daytime, then take the narcotic. Of course, don't suffer in pain. We encourage you to do some walking at home because walking just helps with your circulation, helps for you to take nice deep breaths to prevent any infection in your lung. So we want, once you're home, you're still going to gradually increase your level of activity. We definitely ask that you do not do any heavy lifting at home because when you lift heavy things, you don't realize it, but when you lift something heavy, we do, we, we grunt, we go, uh, And that actually puts pressure on your incision and that may open up your incision. So we definitely ask you, do not, do not lift anything heavy. And that includes younger children, right? Young children. So anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds, don't lift that. Okay. Don't lift anything heavier than 15 pounds. And for some patients, I recommend don't lift in anything more than 10 pounds, to be honest. So it all, it all depends. Of course, while you're taking narcotics, you're under the influence of drugs. So you should not be driving. And also when you're moving really slow, you shouldn't be driving because you're, it, it takes such a long time for you to turn your head to the side from side to side, which is part of what we need to do while driving. So typically driving is at least for the first two weeks, most patients should not be driving. As far as intercourse, you know, whenever you feel ready, but not before your six week follow-up. So remember that 
surgical recovery is a process so be patient with yourself don't get frustrated with your body just listen to your body be respectful of what it needs try to give it all that it needs accept help when offered ask for help when needed and you'll do fine so this is dr dana smith thank you for listening to straight talk with my obmd podcast Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with My OBMD Podcast. To learn more about this topic, visit our website at myobmd.org. Subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I can't wait to spend more time with you on our next episode of Straight Talk with My OBMD.